Welcome to the Mythical Jesus podcast, where we tackle the Christ of Faith seriously. You can visit our website at ChristofFaith.org. That's ChristofFaith.org. Our goal here is to explore with new eyes the life of Jesus Christ, to do so with a emphasis on development and humanity and looking at the human experience through the life of of Jesus. If you like what you hear, would you please consider becoming a recurring donator by going to christoffaith.org and clicking the donate button in the top header. Make a donation, have it be a recurring monthly donation, or if you want, make it a one-time donation. There's several amounts there, or you can choose the amount yourself. Also, feel free to explore the website. On the site, you will find tools, resources, documents to help you in your faith development and to better understand Jesus, the teacher, and his role in that. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Here we are, back in Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 7. We talked last time about being in your own hometown and how those who know you will tend to dismiss you. The author of Mark immediately follows up that story, telling us that Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. So here he is dismissed in his own hometown. And then Jesus immediately follows up by sending out his 12 disciples. So sense for a moment, your Jesus And you were amazed at the unbelief of those from your own hometown community. You had expected something else, like we all do. When we catch some piece of wisdom, we often reach out to those we know and love, and they are the quickest to dismiss the wisdom. Tis life. And Jesus, being dismayed at that having happened, figures, why should I waste any more time here? And so Jesus sends out his 12 disciples to go to other places, from village to village, teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. Two by two, this is important. First off, it's a level of accountability. When we are on our own, we are more prone to make uh, mistakes knowing that nobody is next to us watching us. So in a sense, sending out people two by two helps us to be accountable to each other. We're going to make better choices when our goal is a righteous goal. And we are coupled with somebody else who desires to fulfill that goal as well. When we are on our own, we will find more mischief, even if our goal is a righteous goal. And so being sent out to travel around, having someone else with us who has the same mission, who has the same desires, we're going to be better together, generally. And so he sends them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out spirits. I think that's important to note that they didn't have authority, or at least didn't know they had it, 
And Jesus then helped them to see by either giving it to them or calling them to see it within themselves, authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. They were essentially to live on the assistance of those they would be preaching to. Having some level of money, again, I can't even fathom how Jesus could give them money. But not having money allows others to see that their intentions are wholesome. If we really only care about the kingdom of God, does it matter how we get by? Does it matter how much cash we have? And yet we recognize that money allows us access to resources and tools that we sometimes cannot get without it. And yet Jesus here sends them out two by two. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave. But if any place refuses to welcome you or to listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and to turn to God. When I look at the various Christian religions out there, and as they send their members on missions, and they send them to these underdeveloped or third world countries, these places of poverty, and as... They reach out to these people. I think it is important on some level to not have money, to not have your income in some way based on your message. And yet we live in a world where money buys food, where money pays for shelter, where money takes care of the things that we need. And so in this very moment, there is a paradox where two things are being juxtaposed against each other and it is in the tension that you and I have to wrestle. Can we do more if we have money? Can we do more if my ministering has an income that comes with it? Can I do more if I feel better about myself by having extra clean clothes and a few pairs of shoes and a suitcase to put my stuff in? Or is the mission of God better accomplished if I have no money, just a pair of sandals and one set of clothes on my back and no bag to accumulate my things? You see, when we recognize a theme and development, which is to get rid of ego. That all the ego is about everything that has form. And I think this is what Jesus is pointing to, and I think it's crucial. 
if we sit back and recognize that ego is based in form and who we really are, if we shed all the labels, all the stories we tell ourselves, who we really are is the formless. We are the formless. And Jesus here is challenging his disciples and hence by challenging us to recognize that all the things in our life that we think make us us. So for instance, if I say, who are you? And you say, well, I'm an engineer. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I, and again, whatever the eyes are, I do this. I did that. I play, I'm an athlete. I'm whatever those things are. They're really not you because the only reason they're connected to you is because you were placed in the circumstances you were placed in. You are simply the observer. You are simply the awareness in this present moment. And Jesus is suggesting here, I think, to his disciples that when we let go of the form, when we lean into the formless, we are better in touch with who we are and we are more present with those around us. And so what Jesus is challenging his disciples to do is to be more present as they go out two by two to share the word of God with the people, to be more present. In fact, to understand this, let me play uh, about an eight-minute clip, nine-minute clip from Oprah Winfrey's uh, podcast, Super Soul Conversations. And this is Eckhart Tolle, author of A New Earth, speaking to the very concept I'm talking about on why labels are form. And if we remove those labels and live in the formless, we are more whole. And I hope that you'll understand here after this clip. So let's go to Oprah Winfrey and Eckhart Tolle. What, I, what you fear is to be found uh, wanting, but so you're not, you dare you say not. say the fear is that the attention may take the form of disapproval or disapp- criticism. Yes, you're yeah. afraid of that. So because you're afraid of that, whatever the disapproval or the criticism would represent an injury of your mentally mind-made sense of self, which is the ego. Mm-hmm. So it would, the image that I have of myself as a very capable person or whatever it is that I'm trying to uphold, if I, if I encounter criticism, the ego immediately will be hurt. And so a, a shy person would not dare say anything mm-hmm. because they're afraid of ego loss. Afraid of ego loss. <laughs> Got it. And so, because sometimes that's mistaken for e- an egoless person, a person who's very but it's meek. Not. And it's not. <laughs> and deep down inside the shy person, or a person who is suffering from this sense of inferiority, there's the desire, the unexpressed desire to be superior. Wow. And inside the person who acts superior, who seems to have a big confident ego, there's always the hidden fear that he might be inferior. Uh-huh. And his whole acting out is to compensate for that hidden fear of being inferior. 
okay, behind every positive self-concept is the hidden fear of not being good enough. Yes. Behind every negative self-concept is the hidden desire of being the greatest or better than others. Yes. And where does self-esteem fit into all of that? Where is real self-esteem? What would true self-esteem look like? Well, there, first there is the ego self-esteem, which right. is really, um, even if you have high ego self-esteem, as we've just seen, there's always hidden fear underneath it. It's always there to compensate for that fear that you feel of not being good enough, of perhaps failing. Mm -hmm. So you need to play a role of being big to compensate for the fear of failure that's deep down. So that's, but that's usually the world calls that uh, he has, yes, the world would say he or she has high self-esteem if the people who have big egos, but the world right. doesn't realize that that's not true self-esteem. True self-esteem goes much deeper. It's finding the source of power and aliveness deep inside. We talked about the lake, mm -hmm. realizing that within the depth of your being, there is that continuous source of intense aliveness and power, which is the stillness out of which everything comes, the potential, the unexpressed potential for all form is there within every human being. You just have to become still. So true self-esteem is realizing that that sense of being, that presence is there. It comes out of the stillness. That it comes out of the stillness. And that presence in me is the same as the presence in all people. Yes. And when you recognize that, and act from that space within yourself, that is when you have true self-esteem. That's true self-esteem, and self-esteem then is not no longer derived from the belief that you are better than somebody else. And so you are not attached to the labels or the roles that you play. Mm. And you speak about the many various roles that everybody has. Yes, and then you're no longer devastated by criticism or get very angry when you're criticized, as the ego does. Uh -huh. The ego is either totally devastated when you get, or it gets very angry when it gets criticized, the self-image. But you know, there's a role that most women in, in our society and all societies play, is that role of mother, which yes. is a very, which is more than just a role. I mean, it's real, it's not yes. just a role. Yes. Yeah. It's, so the, the, we need to differentiate between the function that you need to fulfill in this world for a while. Right. So if you have a, a child, mother. your function is to be the mother and to fulfill the function of being the mother, which of course is looking after the child, mm -hmm. sometimes set limits, what the child is allowed to do and so on. That's all fine. Now, if you become too identified with your function, then the function turns into a role. And then you cannot let go of the role, and that gets stuck to you. And even when the child grows up, and especially teen, becomes a teenager, you still behave as if your child were small, and you still try to control and try to protect when it's no longer appropriate. I got it. Because you're stuck with the role then. Uh huh. So sometimes the, when, when the children become adults, the adult children are still treated by their parents Parents who are stuck in the role of parents. They can't let go of the role. Yes, so they, need, they believe unconsciously that they need to continue to protect and ultimately control yes. what the child does. Because you don't parent a child the same at every age. No. Absolutely. Yeah. And so they've lost sight of the function that they had as mother to be guide and to direct and to yes. correct and to help and to protect. And 
Right. Yes. And, and they want to carry that into the future yes. because they are attached to the role. Yes. Okay. And it's not only when, the few, when, this, when children grow up, even when the children already are still small, right. if you are completely identified with this role of mother, then mm -hmm. also it can become obsessive. Mm -hmm. So you might become too controlling or overprotective. Mm -hmm. Certain functions become overemphasized. You go too far in fulfilling these functions. So, so what was good initially is looking after the child, protecting the child, can become too much. Okay. I got it. Yeah. I got it. Well, let's clarify what we mean by roles, because I think it's confusing to some people who say, well, listen, I am a doctor. I am a teacher. I am a lawyer. I am a store clerk. I am a that. Those are labels. And what is the difference between the job functions that we have and the so-called, and, and roles, you know? I and met, the roles that we play. I met a woman, uh, middle-aged, and she talked to me in a certain way. And I asked, are you a school teacher? Mm -hmm. And she said, now how did you know that I'm a school teacher? Mm -hmm. She so did that? She was, because she had already, she talks to people as if she were talking to the children at school. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. and even when she said, how did you know? She was pointing her finger. Okay, okay. You naughty boy, how did you know that? Yes, yes. Of course, that's how I knew it, because she had become completely uh, identified with her function. Right. So the role took her over. She couldn't leave it. She couldn't leave her function behind after work. Even inside her family, she behaved like a teacher. You say when you adjust the way you interact based upon who you're talking to, you're playing a role. Yes, that also. So do we talk to everyone the same? No, most people, if they, but you need to have some uh, power of self-observation, which yeah. is another children, word for awareness. Children, we talk to children differently. Yes. You, friends differently than we do a head of state. Yes, or yeah. a so-called important person and a so-called not important the person. The janitor in a building different See than you how, speak to your boss. Yes, and uh, this is very interesting to observe in oneself. Yourself. Because yeah. you can need to observe it in yourself, otherwise you won't know that you're doing it. And you can only observe it in yourself if there's some awareness there that is yeah. outside of the role. And is this why when you go to a party or you're in an event and you don't know people, the first thing they want to know is, a friend of mine, Marlene, said to me, who, who is taking our class every week, hello, Marlene, that she was at a gathering recently and that she was trying to practice the principles of a new earth and that she was introducing herself around the table and she was doing that in such a way that she didn't talk about what she had done or accomplished or, you know, who she was married to or where she lived. And that one of the people at the table said, well, we don't care about who you are. We want to know what you do. <laughs> we, want to, we want to know what do you do. And what I realized is people want to know that so they can determine your so-called value. Yes. And to see if you will be of value or... Yes, perhaps that... They, or necessary yes, perhaps. for them to play the role with you. Oh, yes, enhance their ego or whether you might be a threat to their ego, uh -huh. whether they can use you or whether they need to be afraid of you or whether they want to have further whether contact. Whether you fit in their circle. Fit in, yes. Yeah. And all these things. And then many judgments go through people's minds often when they meet somebody and they're automatic. You observe... And that is what people mean by what do you do, really, yes. isn't it, for the most yes. part? They want to say, what do you do? Let me place it in, in terms of yes. how valuable yes. that's going to be to yes. me. I think that's a beautiful place to close, simply recognizing that if we can live in this space where I don't, 
I don't need to be the things that are those labels. I can be a more whole human being by letting some of those labels go and then recognizing that this might have been the very reason Jesus sent his disciples out with barely anything other than the clothes on their back and sandals on their feet. This has been the Mythical Jesus Podcast. We will see you next time. I can't wait. See you then. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing